0: And in this book club, if you haven't read the book, it's all right. Although, we hope you'll be inspired to pick it up next time you're in the library. I'm your host, Slade Kemet, and you can consider the book club rewritten because this is Club Book. This podcast features Lorna Landvik at Scott County Library, Prior Lake. Minnesota's own Lorna Landvik is a comedian, actress, playwright, and prolific novelist. Her 1995 fiction debut, Patty Jane's House of Curl, a zany but heartwarming story about two Minnesota sisters who open a beauty parlor, complete with live heart music and Norwegian baked goods, introduced readers to Landvik's unique brand of humor. She has since published nearly a dozen other books, including bestsellers Welcome to the Great Mysterious in 2002, Angry Housewives Eating Bonbons" in 2004, Oh My Stars in 2008, Best to Laugh in 2014, and Once in a Blue Moon Lodge, a long-awaited sequel to Patty Jane's House of Curls. Her newest novel, debuted in March, is Chronicles of a Radical Hack with recipes. In this fictional yet real-to-life town of Granite Creek, Minnesota, curmudgeonly, but beloved newspaper columnist, Hayes Evans slips unexpectedly into a coma. In a scramble to fill the void, her editor republishes old articles, dredging up a host of memories for the denizens of Granite Creek in the process. In addition to her writing, Landvik is a regular in the local improv comedy scene and has written and starred in several scripted plays.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, thank you. I am going to sue MapQuest, because (laughs) I was driving all over the place, and I am so proud of my my navigational ability. I asked somebody in a big SUV, where's the library? I don't know, I don't read. I think she was from Shakopee. No, I, I kid. I kid. But I, I oh man, I so thought I went to a gas station. They didn't know. They said, why don't you Google it on your phone? I said, I don't do that kind of stuff stupidly. But I, I have cousins here, and one of my cousins um, kindly got outside and, and showed me the way. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> and thank you for waiting, too. Although when I was standing there, I was kind of freaking out because I thought, wow, there's a whole other meeting room there. And, and then I realized there's a mirror, uh, so I was seeing you. Whew, let me have a sip of gin disguised as water. Uh, uh, how are you doing? More importantly, how are you doing? I'm, I'm very well now that I got here. And that Glenn Levitt is really hitting the <laughs> spot, so thank you. Thank you so much for writing, uh, I mean for coming. <laughs> and if you write, I appreciate that too. Um, more so, I appreciate you reading. I'm going to tell a story that some of you may have already heard, but I always have to tell it anytime in a, I'm in a library, because it's a story about libraries, one of my favorite places, and about fame my own personal fame, thank you. Um, my local library is the Nakoma's Library in Minneapolis, and I used to write a lot there. I would sit by the fireplace that's never lit because of budget concerns, and, and write away. And one day, I was working, I think, on Angry Housewives eating bonbons, and a woman came up to Miss Lucy, our librarian's desk, and she said, uh, Yeah, say, do you have that tall pine polka by that Laura Lardvark? And, you know, I I perked up a little, and Miss Lucy said, Well, I'll check and see if we have the book, but if you'd like to to meet the author, she's right over there. And so she came over to the couch, and I always like to talk to people, and if they like to read my books, all the better, but this woman was a talker. (laughs) Talk, talk, talk. Yeah, I knew what was in her crock pot that night. Uh, <laughs> Zesty, Yankee pot roast. Talk, talk. I knew about her husband's recent bunion surgery. You know? oh. Oh, no. you I, I could. It'll be called bunions and pot roast. Um, so finally, after what seemed like hours, she realized she had to go and you know attend to that crock pot and that debunioned husband. But before she goes, she gets an evil glimmer in her eye, and she said, you know, we've met before. And I said, really, all that time chatting, I, I had no idea. Uh, how do we know each other? And she said, well, I was the nurse at your colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try to leave that all behind me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's put an end to that story right now. Um, So, first I'm going to take out my book. Look at the librarian from the, um, from the old librarian at the Chanhassen Library made me this little tote. So, did you guys do anything like that? (laughs) Um, So, I'm going to read a little. not the whole book just half of it Um, no so this book came to me the same way all my other books come to me in that the characters magically appear in my head Um, Hayes Evans as soon as she came into my head i knew right away she was an older woman she was a columnist for a small town newspaper and i thought huh that's interesting and and then shortly after her appearance comes Susan McGrath the newspaper's publisher and her very sulky 14-year-old son. You know, I guess you don't have to use the word sulky when you say 14-year-old son. Um, Love (laughs) ya. Just kidding. Um, And so I thought, huh, I wonder how they're gonna figure into the story. I always wonder how everyone's gonna figure into the story because I never write an outline or anything. So I started writing and right away I realized that Hayes, at age 81, suffers a, a massive stroke after seeing a local production of Guys and Dolls. Um, <laughs> having seen some local productions of Guys and Dolls, <laughs> I can't say that I left feeling cheerful. But um, So she's so beloved in her community, and in my mind, Granite Creek is about 20,000 people. Um, that Susan the newspaper's publisher decides to write uh, to reprint old columns of hers throughout the years So she's been writing since 1964 so I had a lot of both historical uh, Memories of my own and then I would look up things. Oh, yeah, I remember when that happened So I'm just going to read two columns just for you and then the story goes into Sam and his mother and Hayes's wild past and um, so it's not all columns um, but all columns are what I'm going to read to you tonight. Um, So this is the very last column that she writes before her stroke. It's dated July 15, 2016. Minus what that vicious lying mirror tells me, and the knees that crackle like kindling every time I take the stairs, and the ear canals that have muddied with silt of late, 81 feels an awful lot like 29. Okay, maybe 53. (laughs) You don't stop laughing when you grow old, George Bernard Shaw is credited with saying. You grow old when you stop laughing. If I like those cutesy pillows cross-stitched with pithy sayings, I'd cross-stitch what Mr. Shaw said on one, but I don't, so I won't. It's not as if I'll forget something I agree with so completely. Really, I believe laughter is like collagen for the soul. I myself try to have a good laugh at least once a day, although in these trying times we're living through, I wish there were a product a laughative of sorts (laughs) I could take to ensure mirthful regularity. (laughs) Having survived the hoopla of last year's surprise party, I chose a quieter celebration yesterday with my friend Lois, one that included a drive by the construction site of the new downtown library, bigger than the old one by 3,000 square feet, followed by dinner at Zig's Supper Club even though Lois wanted to go to that big chain restaurant out on the highway because they have two-for-one margaritas on birthdays. (laughs) They can afford to do that, I told her, because they pay their workers so poorly. Lois rolls her eyes as a default expression in response to much of what I say, but honestly, if I weren't around acting as her social conscience, she would always choose a free drink for herself over fair wages for the bartender pouring it. My grandniece Angela, she's the adventurer who's living in Paris and rides a little scooter that takes her along the Seine to her Pilates studio, sent me a lovely card whose message was written in French because, well, she's in France. Joyeux Anniversaire are the words in the cat's thought bubble. And when you open the card, La Chatte is drinking champagne with a group of mice, one of whom, according to Angela's handwritten translation, is saying to the other, Drink up. Jamal the party's <laughs> over and it's to the It's funny in that esoteric French way, je suppose. Our server, guaranteeing himself a big tip, asked me what I attributed my youthful appearance to. Not wanting to give him a glib answer like oil of olé or a diet of younger men, I expounded on the restorative power of humor. And curiosity, Lois said when I finally took a break to attend to my Jim Gimlet. Hayes here is the most curious person I know. And I'm just going to end that there because that gives you a little idea of really, her, her curiosity does drive her. So here's another one of her columns. Um, one of Sam's teachers ultimately institutes a radical hag Wednesday in the his eighth grade classroom, whereby the kids discuss one of her columns um, and then start writing their own. So her columns really have a life that leads to a lot of people just waking up to the power of story. So this is what she wrote uh, April 20th, 1995. My friend Lois, Bruce Schneeman, and I stood watching a bank of TVs, our arm folded tight across our chests, protecting us. My wife's family's from Oklahoma City, Bruce said. Note, I spoke this morning to Anita Schneeman, and all her family members are thankfully fine, as we tried to make sense of not just the carnage, but how the carnage came to be. Lois and I had been browsing at Schneeman's furniture. I need a new couch, and have for about a decade, and Lois was looking for an accent rug as she finally had her molting 70 shag rug carpet pulled up to reveal the pretty blonde wood floors underneath. We were more distracted shoppers than serious ones and we were testing out two side-by-side recliners, pulling their levers like we were race car drivers, and they were our stick shifts, whooping as we were sent into varying degrees backwards. When Bruce rushed into the showroom and called ladies, we thought for a moment we were being scolded for our rambunctious recliner test drive. But as he navigated the maze of sectionals and Ottomans and chairs, he said, there's been a bombing in Oklahoma City. We followed him into the small electronics room and watched the news on a half dozen television screens. I didn't go into the office where I knew I could get all the latest incoming news. I didn't want all the latest incoming news. I didn't know what I wanted. I was just so discombobulated that in this world I live in also live people who can plan and execute such barbarity. The perpetrators are unknown right now, but when they're caught and they will be caught I'm sure we'll hear the heinous drivel that they believe explains their motives But that's all it is the same heinous drivel that always that's always espoused by those sick enough to commit acts of terror Those evil ideologues who believe that causing death and destruction somehow glorifies their cause um, So now that I've brought you down Um <laughs> So she does write about everything. She writes about her domestic life. She writes about what's happening in the world. Um, and sometimes things get pretty heavy in her columns. So that's why I brought my ukulele. Um, <laughs>
2: because
1: I always think, you know, a sing along helps brighten a move. So, um, does anybody have a request? Uh, <laughs> Stairway to Heaven? Um, How about uh, You Are My Sunshine? Perfect. I know that one. Okay. (laughs) You are my sunshine. feels better now. Thank you for applauding, Eric. You know, you could be doing anything, and I'm very glad you're here. I predict a bountiful, meaningful life for you. You're welcome. How's that for brown-nosing? I brown-nose teens. Um, So, I just really like to talk off your questions, and you know that I always reward you um, with chocolate because um, people tend to talk when uh, a kiss is um, thrown or given and Eric just because you can there you you get the first one there you go um, I did this because when I wrote my first book and had my very first reading at Odegaard books in st. Paul I had been to a lot of readings as a, a listener And I knew any time the writer asked for questions, there was a very shy pause. And so I thought, I'll I'll give chocolate. And I baked a pan of brownies. And I was running around the bookstore and there were crumbs all over. And I thought, I got to get a little more portable. Um, So I decided to throw Hershey's Kisses because one, they're good, and two, this little paper tail is very aerodynamically accurate. And I know this to be a fact. Um, I'll tell you a story about the first event I did outside of a library or a, a bookstore was at a Sons of Norway in a suburb of Minneapolis that shall remain unnamed. Um, and it was an evening meeting, and they had me sitting in a folding chair by the podium, and the president was standing at the podium. And it was kind of awkward, you know, I was just sitting there. And he was yelling at his fellow members about the upcoming picnic, and he was saying, no more bars, no more bars. Last picnic we had 17 pans of bars and no entrees. And, you know, I was just like, oh, that's great. And on and on the meeting went, and finally he was wrapping it up, and he wanted to honor their local fiddler who always fiddled at their functions. And this was a 92-year-old Norwegian Big guy, big shoulders, so he comes up and the president hands him a little teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny mold box. And the fiddler holds it in his big hand and he looks at it and he says, uh, yeah, well, this is really gonna come in handy because, you know, I said I would, I'd be moving in May and I sure could use another trunk. You know, so so then I started thinking, oh, yes, these are my people. And uh, so I got up to the podium, and they had a bell on the, the desk, um, like a motel bell. And I, I'm so popular in motel lobbies because I, I love to ring those bells, you know. So I rung the bell, and five people stand up. And I said, may I help you? And they said, yeah, well, the officers always stand whenever the bell is rung. <laughs> so if that's not an invitation to continue ringing the bell, <laughs> and there they'd go. So then, as, after the end of my talk, I said I'd love some questions, and a guy in the back raised his hand, and I lobbed the candy at him, and he caught it, and he just sat there looking at me, and I said, "Do you have a question?" He said. Yeah, well, you already answered it. It was. Can I have a piece of candy? (laughs) So then they invited me to lunch, and now it's about 10.30 at night, but I'm always up for a lunch. And uh, they had lefse, which I love lefse, uh, but where was the butter and brown sugar? They had a vat of hot dogs that you were supposed to roll up inside the lefse. I know. I. I called immigration the next day.
0: <laughs> With that, we have reached the part of our podcast for we turn to our club book audience for questions and comments for Lorna Landvik and her work. In this book club, we like to encourage members and authors to connect and engage and help bridge the gap between the page you read and the process it took to write it. Our first question of the night comes from an audience member inquiring how Landvik motivates herself to write when she's not in the mood.
1: You sit there. That's really the only only antidote. You have to sit there. And the words might, I I might doodle a whole lot. I find that doodling kind of frees up my mind. It helps that little daydreaming key turn. Um, I stare out the window a lot. Uh, some people have, you know, word count um, schedules that they try to keep to, like today I'm going to write 2,000 words, um, and I, I think it's a smart thing to do, but I don't do it, or, or just because I never, if I'm my own boss, I want to be a really good boss, you know, um, and I figure it gets done, I don't have a regular writing schedule. I don't wake up and seize the day. You know, I I seize the newspapers and the crossword puzzles and they get harder as the week goes on. It takes me longer to do them. I have to walk the dog, you know, so my morning is pretty much taken up with goofing off, but fun goofing off. So I will often write in the afternoon, but then if I don't, you know, if there's a good matinee movie, uh, $5 at the Mall of America on Tuesdays, um, I will write at night. And in fact, today was kind of a goof off day. So I am planning probably to stay up late at night and, and get something done. And sometimes, you know, I'll write like five, six, even seven pages a day. Sometimes I'll write, two paragraphs, and then the days that I don't write, I, I like to take long walks, and I feel those long walks are very contemplative, and I'm thinking of what I'm working on. That, at least that's my excuse, and <laughs> it's a good one.
0: This audience member asks, how much of herself did Lorna Landvik place in Hayes Evans?
1: I never see myself in my characters, but I know I am in all of them somehow. Um, even the the jerks. Um, you know, th- that jerky part of me that, you know, has revealed itself, what, once or twice in my life? Um, <laughs> will come to fore. No, Hayes, I, Hayes is a lot like me in that she looks at the world with wonder, and then everything else, with wonder, with awe, with, happiness with sadness with anger with frustration Um, but she's very happy to be a part of this world trying to figure why we're all here what do we all want how do we all help each other Um, so in that respect she's very much like me Um, I don't know that they were called trolls back then but Hayes has kept all her um, columns in paper and clipped to them all the reader response letters she would get, you know, everything that was sent into the paper, either praising one of her columns or exhorting her for, you know, her crazed ideas. And there's one particular guy named Mr. Joseph Snell who will always write a snide letter you know he thinks that's where the title comes from because after a column in which she writes about taking not taking her husband's name and she gets married kind of late in life and her at least for that time in her uh, mid-30s um, and she wants to keep her her name and it's been her byline for years and he writes in you know saying that this morning's piffle, you know, that I've had to read was nothing but the lunatic ravings of a chron- the, the chronicles of a radical hag. And so she writes a, a back to him and, you know, her readership at large, um, mollifying him with a recipe. Um, as just kind of a joke, kind of a wink, you know, she still really stands by her opinions, but she says, let's put down the boxing gloves and put on oven mitts instead. <laughs> and so throughout the, the book, she will um, offer up recipes. I mean, th- throughout her tenure as a columnist, she would offer up recipes. And they're really good recipes. Um, I can't stress enough that you should make the almond crescent cookies, but did you make them?
2: They're waiting at
1: home. Did you make them little? OK, because, yeah, I, I like to make them really small. Small, you pinch off just a little bit of dough, you roll them, and then you shape them in a crescent. And I've been to several um, bookstores and events where they've made the almond crescents for me. And at one, one bookstore, it looked like almond boomerangs. I mean, they were <laughs> they were huge. But the thing is, the smaller the cookie, the more you can eat. So that's what I like. And my, my mother was a really good baker, um, but she was beyond my ken. She made krumkaka that was so lacy and fine it would just crumble in your hands, and I I can't make that. And but her popovers are here, her family farm fudge recipe that uh, you can use as ice cream topping or fudge or cake frosting. And she would it hardens. She would bake chocolate sheet cakes and you know, cover it with this frosting that would harden, and my brother Greg and I, who had the sweet teeth in the family, we'd break off the fudge, <laughs> the frosting, so she'd get to this denuded cake, you know, and, what happened to my cake? Um, so it was fun selected select, and the lemon bars are really good, the popovers are the one savory recipe, but um, uh, if you do make the recipes and they turn out, or don't turn out, uh, it's you, not me.
0: (laughs) This question is if any of Landvik's characters come back to her after she finishes the novel.
1: Yes, that's why I wrote um, Once in a Blue Moon Lodge, because the characters in Patty Jane's House of Curl just kept yammering at me throughout the years to tell their further story. And in the book, there are... Two sisters. Um, One sister dies in Patty Jane's House of Curl. um, And there's Patty Jane's mother in law, Ione, who's from Norway, and who in the original, in Patty Jane's House of Curl, was a very selfless, and not in a, oh, look at me, I'm being so selfless way. Just she was very kind and really helped out her daughter in law when. her son, Patty Jane's husband, disappeared. And, but then I realized in writing, Once at a Blue Moon Lodge, she really had a, an unexplored past and it was, it was, <laughs> it was just fun to write about and see this much older woman in her youth in Oslo and what took her to America. Um, so, you know, a lot of writers do write sequels or even uh, series and, they're very profitable. Profitable. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I should write a series. Um, <laughs> but these, you know, when I'm finished with a book, usually the characters of the next book come into my head, just because they know if they don't, I'm just going to goof off, and you know, I wouldn't be writing unless they were there to help me. Um, so the book I'm working on now, I have about a hundred and oh no, over two hundred pages now, and that's a character who's totally different from any I've ever written. In a time frame, totally different. But that's all I can tell you or I'd have to uh, you know, kill you, sorry.
0: <laughs> Our next question of the night comes from an audience member wondering how Landvik decided to be a writer.
1: I had a very influential sixth grade teacher who I feel helped me in my writing so much, Mr. Spaeth, um He was the kind of teacher you wish you every kid had for every grade. He would take all of us kids out for very rough and tumble Winter Olympics. We'd come upstairs, you know, stomping the snow off our boots. He'd sit down and play the piano. Every day we had a sing-along. And every day he would read to us. And at that time in Minneapolis, there was a program called Let's Write. and The DJ would read aloud student work that teachers had submitted and talk about writing. And twice he read my poems. They came over our, you know, very crackly PA system. And I remember being just so thrilled and so Norwegian, I had to listen like this. Um. (laughs) But we carried little autograph books around back then um, with our metal lunch buckets and our, and our coal for the <laughs> uh, for the school stove, and and in it, Mr. Spayth wrote, "Best of luck for a fine literary career," and that meant so much to me. You know his words, because when a teacher you love believes in you, it's like wow. And I acknowledged him in my second book, but I couldn't remember his first name. You know, because your assumption is, teachers don't have first names. And, <laughs> And my mother said, oh, I think it's Richard, but she couldn't be sure, so I decided to acknowledge him as I addressed him. And the Star Tribune did a story about me, and they noticed that acknowledgement, and so I told them all about Mr. Spath and they looked him up for me. And it wasn't a lot of detective work. Um, He lived in Bloomington. Um, (laughs) But we got together for pie and coffee, all those years later, at the Baker Square on Old Shakopee Road. And he brought his wife, and now I'm an adult. I can address them by by name, and he introduces me to his wife. You know, this is my wife, Mary, and, and you know me, of course. I'm Joseph, and oh, wow. So I had pie and coffee with Mary and Joseph. And, uh, and then this is, you know, you can never write some real things, because they're just People wouldn't believe it. This is a true story. The busboy's name tag was Jesus. Jesus. Yes, it was. For <laughs> so saying it first. There you go. Um, so uh, so I always wrote in junior high, in high school. Um, I had a very brief college career. Um, my best friend and I decided to drop out to um, become first stand-up comedians, and then movie stars. It was, that was our trajectory, uh, which you may have noticed didn't work out. But, but we had a lot of fun. And I always wrote. I lived in LA for about eight years, doing mainly stand-up comedy or improvisational comedy, auditioning for parts. And, but I would write a lot of short fiction, just to keep myself in the fiction world. And I'd also write monologues you know, for myself and my friends. Um, but I always thought, I'm, I'm a novelist, even though I wasn't writing novels. So when we had our first daughter and decided to move back to Minneapolis, um, that's when the, char- the characters of Patty Jane and Harriet came into my head. And then when we got back to Minneapolis, I heard about this place called The Loft. And now it's grown, it, it used to be when I, Moved back, um, held in the uh, basement of a church, and now they've got a huge, beautiful building, and it's a real, well-renowned uh, and appreciated literary center, you know, uh, around the country. And so, I the class consisted of each student bringing 20 pages of the book they were writing on, and then we students would read our fellow students' work and come back the next week and critique uh, those works and. So from their reaction, I thought, okay, this really is a novel, just not a never-ending short story. Um, so, I that's the only class that I've taken. I feel my my writing class is being a reader. So, what do I really like when I read? What moves me? Oh, wow, that's such beautiful language. Wow, this character is so real to me. You know, I. I try to emulate what I want as a reader, you know, just a story that takes me in, that makes me laugh, makes me cry, makes me feel. um, And this book has some really fabulous recipes, that's all.
0: This audience member asks about Lorna Landvik's writing process.
1: I don't know. But I'm not alone, and, and I don't mean to be glib. A lot of writers, in fact, there's a, there are two camps, they say. There are pantsers who write by the seat of their pants and plotters, those who like to write things out. Sometimes people like a mixture of those two. Um, I, and I always like to read about writers' processes and how they work. I find it fascinating because there isn't an absolute way as my ninth grade English teacher would have had me think, you know, what's your topic, sentence? <laughs> and uh You know, she insisted we outline and I, I never knew what the story was until I really got into it. So the, the only thing I can say is that, you know, the characters, I can't physically see them, but I'm given enough of their personalities when they first, when I first think of them that I think, okay, I can start. Then I start writing. The more I write, the more I learn, the more I learn, the more I go back. So it's going forward, learning something. Oh, wow, this happened. I better foreshadow it a little here. Um, Sometimes I know where I'm headed midway, and sometimes I actually get there. But I would say most often the characters are, no, we're not going there. That's stupid. Uh, So (laughs) I just have to listen to them. And you know, it's not, I know. Even to hear myself, I think, ah, amp up her medication because um, it—it just sounds, you know. Ooh, but it's—that's the way I write. It's just a discovery for me, almost the same as a reader. You know, when I'm reading a book and discovering things, that's how I'm writing it. I, you're shaking your head like. Oh, oh good, I thought it was a, oh, but it's okay, good. I'd rather have a wow than a, oh. um. Uh, I heard John Irving, um, I read about his writing process and they say that he writes the last line of his book and he mails it to a couple friends who are then instructed to open that letter upon the book's publication, see if that last sentence matches the one in the book. And it does. And I think, whoa, sure works for him, but I would be wandering in the desert.
0: This question is about how Landvik creates her characters. Are they based off people she knows?
1: So uh, it's funny. When I wrote Patty Jane's House of Curl, um, my first book, I had no experience in a beauty salon. My mother was very proud of her naturally wavy hair, never had the standard weekly appointment that all my friends' rel- uh, mothers had, you know, where they'd go in and get their hair shellacked. <laughs> and then when it got a little flat, they'd re-shellack it the next week. But, um, so I thought, how am I gonna write about a beauty salon? I have no, no experience at all, and I thought, well, I'm gonna learn, and um, I have no sisters, but I have friends who were really like sisters and cousins who are like sisters. And, um, and my mother had seven sisters and one brother, so I got to see a lot of sisterly love. Um, my mom, who's no longer with us, um, was thrilled when I finally published um, because you know, she would be on the phone with one of her many sisters and have to explain me to her sisters whose children were much more accomplished. And she, yeah, Lorna, the oh, she got a temp job at the Playboy Mansion, and um, you know, yeah, she's uh, walking across the country for global nuclear disarmament. Um, so when I finally published, she was thrilled, and she was such a a library, bar, library <laughs> a library pa- patron. Um, in fact, for years after she died, anytime I brought in an overdue book, the library, hey, you know, your mother never had an book. <laughs> and, and she had that gift of speech. She could read a book a night, which I, I don't have that gift. But, uh, so what I, my publisher finally sent me the hot off the press books. I raced over to her house with a copy and, She read it that night and then called me the next day to review it because, you know, she was my mother, she gave me a really good review, but um, I said, you know, Mom, I'm thinking, wow, you really remind me of the character I own, you know, the Norwegian mother-in-law, and and she said, I didn't see it, so... um, So consciously I don't base characters on anybody but I bet unconsciously everybody I've met somehow gets thrown into that stew that delicious ratatouille
0: <laughs> This question is about what Lorna Landvik likes to read
1: Oh I love to read um let's see I'm right now reading a book called The Editor I can't think of the um, name, it's a novel, but it's based on Jacqueline Kennedy as an editor at Viking. Um, I like Ann Tyler. Um, I like a book that will j- just really bring me into the characters' lives and and make me think outside my own life. Um, let's see what else am I reading? I always, you know, it just stops me, this question. And then I know all of you are thinking, oh, she doesn't read. But really, <laughs> no, I just, I think, okay, what's, I know my book club is reading a book, um, and I can't even think of the title. I just checked it out. But a, 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 it's about a woman who, she thinks books have saved her. It's, it's got Bob in the title. I can't think. Um, I, I know, it's not bad. Um, Well, I just, uh, mostly novels, um, and about, I would say, 30% nonfiction. And I'm just trying to, oh, I'm reading uh, The Punch by, um, his last name is Hawley, H-A-W-L-E-Y, and that's kind of a a thriller. And I enjoy thrillers and mysteries, but they probably are about 12.5% of (laughs) the, Fiction I read, but and I admire a good mystery or thriller because I could never write one. You know, you would know who did it by page four. (laughs) Oh well, that was good. And I like to think that I write about you know the mystery of the human heart, but you know there aren't a lot of unclaimed corpses in my books. So
0: another audience member wonders if any of Landvik's books will be adapted into films or TV series.
1: I have had several books optioned. um, And that means somebody pays to put their dibs on a book and then they are hoping to get either, you know, name actors or directors or producers to get on board and have the movie made. And um, it's very exciting and then nothing happens. And then ultimately, the option is dropped. And I've never had like a huge, you know, big money-making uh, option. I've had options that, you know, keep me in pie at Baker Square for a couple months. But um, so I was doing an event in Edina. And so whenever anybody asked me about movies, I decided I would say, hey, anybody, you know, have a movie connection and in Edina? You'd think, surely somebody. <laughs> And then a woman raised her hand. She said, I, I have somebody you should talk to. So a local, she lives in St. Paul, writer, director, and I got together. And a new thing that they're doing now is making proofs of concepts. And they're like a, either a trailer or a, um, I got all choked up just like or a short film. And then once that's made, you hope to attract Hollywood with it. So I wrote a script. I actually wrote a couple and we decided on one, that the one that would be the most cost effective. We cast the movie and that was really fun for me because in Hollywood I had been in front of casting people and it was, it was always so grim. I, I remember once auditioning for a jeans commercial and I was in the bathroom, you know, trying to look good, and I had my little Walgreens makeup bag, you know, and I'm unzipping it, and there's dog hair, you know, in the Maybelline. And and a a six-foot-tall model is next to me with her, you know, suede makeup bag, and and I thought, oh, this is gonna be great. And uh, (laughs) I get in the the audition room, and there's like a shoe horse, horseshoe of people. A shoe horse. I'm a country gal. Um, and so one of them explains what I'm supposed to do. She says, You know, we're going to start out the music, and then we really want to see you move. We, we want to have you dance. And then when the music ends, we'd like you to turn around and, you know, shake your booty at us. And so I said, Oh, do you have a wide angle lens? And there, there's just dead silence. And except for a communal motion, all these heads went. Um, So needless to say, I was not the Ash girl. Um, So now it was really fun to be in the, you know, in the casting. Uh, can you turn around and shake your booty at me? um, No, I I didn't, I didn't do things like that. Um, But we had really good actors. So we made a short film, and this Oh My Stars is a book about, It's set in the Great Depression and uh, poor Violet, uh, this Kentuckian, she loses her arm at the elbow in a factory accident just demolishing her goals of getting out of Kentucky as a clothes designer. Um, She decides she's going to be the second person to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and gets on a bus and the bus hits one of the few trees in North Dakota. And, <laughs> and then her life changes um, with the people who come out and save all the bus people. Um, so she she gets saved by a, a pre-Elvis Elvis um, uh, named Shell. And he's just doing this music that's unheard of in the, the mid-30s. And his bandmates are black musicians. So. You know, there was just a lot to write about in this era that was pretty segregated. And but th- when those characters came into my head, that was the question. I, I said, "Whoa, how can I? Am I supposed to write about these people at this time?" And you know, that's always what my characters say to me: nah, 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 "You figured out." Um, <laughs> so we made the movie, and it's just finished the color uh, coloration, I think, and the credits. And now we're trying to find a theater to host all the donors to see it. And then Cynthia, because I really have nothing more to do with it. The writer never does. But then she'll try to submit it to festivals and get it in the hands of um, Hollywood.
0: This question comes from an audience member wondering, of the books she's written, which one is Landvik's favorite?
1: This is the cliched answer, but it's the true answer. They really are all like your kids, and if you picked a one, the you don't want to make the other kids feel bad. <laughs> I, I always like when somebody tells me a book that you know isn't one of you know the top three big sellers. I like when they tell me, "Oh yeah, yeah, um, your Oasis was my favorite," or "Oh yeah, um, Welcome to Great Mysterious." So I, I guess. Thinking in a business-like manner, I should always say the new hardcover is definitely <laughs> my favorite. Uh, I've actually had a couple booksellers tell me that this is their favorite, and I've had a, some readers tell me that, too. So that's always exciting. You don't want booksellers, you know, to say, why'd you write that? You know, so, so. Yes. Do you have a favorite? Okay. Have you read any others?
2: Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. She's got some. And I'm not... Oh, wow. 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 She's (laughs) just... And I I will give you a chocolate, but it's a little far. Um, I don't want you to be like the Wisconsin woman. I, I spoke at a country club. And the ceilings were kind of low, and I had stopped at a come and go, or a stop and shop, or a sniff and scratch, you know, whatever <laughs> they name their, their, their gas stations. And they didn't have any, any kisses. I thought, Wisconsin. Uh, so I got Rolos, which I like, but they didn't have that you know, paper tail, so they were, I could get some speed in them. And the, the first woman to ask a question was way in the back, like you are, and I very accurately hurled this at her to see her a second later go, oh. And I raced up to her and her husband was laughing and he said, she's such a drama queen. Um, but she had a mark, you know. So, so I'll save you yours for later.
0: The last question of the night comes from an audience member wondering if Landvik's children read her books.
1: They do, my daughters do read my books and um, they tell me they love them um, (laughs) because they know what side the bread is buttered on, Um, no and that's, it's really fun. Um, My daughters my older daughter, especially, saw me just sitting, looking out the window, doodling at my kitchen counter, working on my first book, and my second. And I wrote my first book by hand. Um, and I remember her bringing friends up, and you know, there I'd be with pen and paper, but just looking out the window, and I'd hear her say, "Oh, my mom's writing," you know. And, um, <laughs> And yet she was the first one to see my first book in the Barnes and Noble, even before its publication date. So that was pretty exciting. Um, So yeah, they're usually pretty excited about it. And both my daughters, I think, are really good writers. My older daughter is the kind of reader that my mother was. Um, She can read quickly and retain. Um, And she belongs to a book club of, she goes, Mom, they're all your age, uh, of academics. And uh, they meet at this old Sears Tower and they, you know, it's no goofing off, no wine, no appetizers. It's just, but they love it. They get so deep. They're, tonight she's at, they're discussing um, The Believers by Rebecca McKay, which is a really good book. Um, and my younger daughter was not the reader as a kid. I mean, she would, we read all the Harry Potter books, and you know, she read the Hunger series and everything, but she d- didn't have that lust as a young, younger person. Um, but then when she was away at school, her emails to me were so funny and well-written that I I really have hope um, that she might, she might spend you know, years temping or waitressing and writing on the side, (laughs) like I did. Well, let me see. What story can I tell you to close with? Um, I I don't want to repeat myself, although, you know, they're my stories, so obviously I'm going to repeat them. Well, why don't I just end reading um, a couple chapters? Um, (laughs) 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 No, I will just... um, I just, i I'm gonna read, um, this is from Hayes's, one of her very first, or her, or her very first column, and she, my mother uh, grew up in North Dakota, so Hayes grows up in North Dakota, so um, I just wanna read about a woman who influenced her. This is from April 27th, 1964. I was thrilled when the peach organza prom dress I sewed won a blue ribbon at the statewide 4-H career competition, thrilled when I graduated UND with a degree in journalism, and thrilled when the Gazette hired me away from the Fargo Forum. To be thrilled is a lovely state of being, one that I again find myself in now that I'll be writing a bi-weekly column. Every year, my bachelor uncle Ralph brought a different date to our family's holiday table, and one memorable Thanksgiving, he was accompanied by Carol Burgesson. Carol Burgesson. Thirteen years old and a recent graduate to the grown-ups table, I was not only beside Miss Burgesson, but beside myself. She may not be well-known here in Minnesota, but in the Dakotas and States West, she was the reigning queen of the rodeo. And throughout the passing of mashed potatoes, turkey, and candied yams, I deliberated over what sophisticated and witty words I might say to impress her. I saw you at the Dunn County Fair, I finally offered, watching her drizzle gravy over her generously filled plate. You were wearing lots of fringe. (laughs) I always wear fringe, darling, she said, except at the dinner table where it can get a little sloppy. She was the nicest woman with a big laugh and a head full of wild red hair and she regaled us with tales of bucking broncos and rodeo clowns with drinking problems. Moreover, she had all the time in the world for a strangely pale teenager who thought she'd hidden a pimply chin and forehead with liberal pats of her mother's powder puff. Uncle Ralph always whisked his dates away directly after dessert, not wanting, I suppose, to be part of the familial loosening of belt buckles, burps, and other noises, repressed and unrepressed. And when they were leaving, Miss Burgesson shrugged into her luxurious dark fur coat and pulled me toward her. Now remember, Hayes, she whispered, everybody told me little girls didn't grow up to be rodeo stars, but I didn't listen to everybody. I listened to myself. If you want something, chase after it, rope it, and pull it in. So that's just a little advice from Hayes. Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate it.
0: That wraps up our Scott County Library Prior Lake event with Lorna Landvik. Make sure to catch our last Clubbook podcast of the season with Charles C. Mann at St. Paul Public Library, Merriam Park. New York Times bestselling historian Charles C. Mann is perhaps best known for his groundbreaking 1491, New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus. His newest, The Wizard and the Prophet, tells the remarkable story of two little known scientists responsible for modern environmentalism. Visit us online at clubbook.org for details on past and present seasons, sign up for our e newsletter, check out our calendar, and so much more. We also have photos of previous discussions from this season and past seasons on our Clubbook Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, find us using the handle ClubbookMN. And if you enjoy these free Clubbook events and podcasts, remember to share them with your friends. They just may too. Thanks again to all those who make Club Book possible, including MELSA, Library Strategies, and Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our sponsors include MinPost and Red Balloon Bookshop, where you can purchase all the books featured in Club Book. Finally, a very special thank you to all the libraries hosting events this season. That's it for Club Book, the coolest club in town. We'll see you at the library.